Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's really helpful to think of it as this kind of super skill that you can train through very simple exercises and what's most exciting about the way to train it the way I look at it at least is not only is it simple but the more you get it the less effort you have to put into uh, training it. You're listening to Benji Schoendorf on Psychologist Off the Clock. We are four clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting edge and science-based ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. I'm Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. From coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. And from sunny San Diego, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, author of Be Mighty and the Big Book of Act We hope you take what you learn here to build a rich and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. The co-hosts of Psychologists Off the Clock are hosting our first annual Psychologists Off the Clock Wise Mind Summit, How to Adapt and Thrive in Today's Challenging Times. We have an amazing lineup of speakers. We have Dr. Rick Hansen coming to talk about growing the good in your brain. Dr. Rafael Paleo is coming back to answer our questions about how to sleep. We have Julie Lithgott-Hames, who wrote How to Be an Adult, who's coming to talk to us about empowering our kids in challenging times. And AJ Harbinger from the Art of Charm podcast, who's going to talk to us about conversations that connect, and many, many more, including presentations from all four of the POTC co-hosts. Our summit takes place on Friday, January 29th and Saturday, January 30th. The first 300 registrants will be able to register for free and will continue to release free tickets as we get donations and additional sponsors. And after that, tickets will only be $8 just to cover administrative fees. So we hope you will join us. We're really excited. You can check it out on our website at offtheclockpsych.com. This is Diana here, and today we have Benji Schoendorf on the show, who is an expert on something called the ACT Matrix. And the Matrix is a tool that is actually showing a lot of benefit for not only in therapy, but for couples, for businesses, groups, teenagers, in terms of how to help you get unstuck. And we'll orient you a little bit to what the Matrix is. But basically, it's about noticing the workability in your life. We're so primed to look for solutions to our problems. And the matrix is not a problem solver. So heads up, if you're looking for solutions, it's not going to give you the solutions, but rather it's a pointer outer. One of the things that Benji has talked about, it's like pointing at the moon. You're pointing out experiences when you are hooked by thoughts, when you are moving away from what you care about, and even just noticing some of those experiences can help you shift and orient your behavior and action more towards your values. How did you experience the episode? Yeah. 
Well, I love the episode. And I always think it's funny um, to focus on the word the matrix because everyone's going to think about the movie. <laughs> but it's not that kind of matrix, <laughs> different kind of matrix. But it is a really helpful matrix. And one example that I kept thinking about as I was listening to the episode is an experience that I had for the longest time. I hated vacuuming. And for the <laughs> forever, I just refused to get carpets because I hated vacuuming so much. I would just sweep. Then the house that we moved into was very cold, so we bought some carpets, and I needed to vacuum. But I would just get so grumpy about it. Like, I never wanted to do it. It was the plugging in and the moving around, and the thing was so heavy, and I had to clean it out. And one day, I was talking to a friend of mine about how much I hated vacuuming, and she said to me, oh, I feel so differently. When I vacuum, I just love to listen to the dirt get sucked up. I just really focus on the... And it's just so satisfying. You should try it. And so I did. The next day, I pulled out my stupid vacuum. <laughs> I plugged it in several times because, you know, the plugs are in various parts of the house that make it inaccessible. And, you know, you have to kind of move it around. But I focused on the sound of the dirt getting sucked up through the tube. And it was. It was really satisfying. And now I still don't love the moving around and the lugging the thing around. But I relate to it so differently. And it's that kind of idea that if you just kind of notice what bothers you, clarify what's important to you, like a clean floor, and try to find a different way to relate to an experience, it just changes it and it makes it much easier to do the thing that used to be so hard. So that's such a good example, Yael, of of what Benji shares about in terms of the matrix, because a lot of times what keeps us stuck in our life is the stuff that's underneath our skin, what happens underneath our skin and how we navigate the obstacles within. So the matrix is this tool that you may want to have a piece of paper with when you're listening to this episode and draw two lines on the paper. So one horizontal and one vertical and imagine a cross going through the page. And there's four different quadrants of the matrix. And if you want to look in the show notes, you'll You'll see a picture of this diagram that would help really orienting you towards what Benji is talking about in the show. It's a diagram that therapists will use with clients, but you can also do with yourself. So there's a horizontal line, which is about toward moves, towards your values, and away moves, away from uncomfortable stuff. And then there's a vertical line. And the vertical line is all about stuff that's either outside of your skin, your five senses of experiencing, what you can see, hear, smell, and touch, or what's underneath your skin, your inner, your inner mental experiencing. Benji Schoendorf will orient you towards this matrix and walk you through the different quadrants on the show, but it may be helpful just to take a look at that picture as you're listening. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> I, I think the visuals just make it a lot clearer. And Diana, as I was listening to the episode, you shared your experience of a stuck loop, and you said that you would give an update to listeners a few weeks after this interview. So I'm curious, where are you on your stuck loop after going through this process with, with Benji Schoendorf? In the episode, Benji does this great exercise of saying your stuck loop out loud to identify it. And the stuck loop that I shared about was one where I'm trying to manage the discomfort of undoneness in my life by getting busy and doing. And when my partner comes in and, and wants to talk with me or be with me, I'm actually so caught in my stuck loop and my busyness, I don't turn towards him. And I've noticed, I actually just noticed it this morning, I was working on something to uh, prepare for the day and he came in and because I knew we were doing this interview, I noticed my stuck loop and just noticing it made me turn towards him and put my work down and, and take a look at him. So I do think it's helpful. The power of noticing is really what Benji talks most about in this show. 
Yeah, that's such a powerful example. And it's one that is really um, founded in marital research. I'm just thinking about John Gottman's idea of bids for connection and this idea that when our partner sends out a signal to connect with us, it's so important to respond to them. But as you're experiencing, Diana, and I think so many people do, we get kind of caught up in our own thing. And it really does take some noticing to really absorb the message that our partner is sending us a bid for connection. And it's that noticing that allows us to respond. Do you have a stuck loop you want to share? Yeah. One of my stuck loops, and this is related to a New Year's resolution that I have, is that at the end of the day, I tend to eat too much. I'm sort of like tired and I just want to do something that feels good in the moment. And so one of the things that I've been working on is just noticing why I'm eating. And this kind of gets to, Diane, I know some research that you've done in the past about appetite awareness and then figuring out what makes sense for me based on my values, but also based on where I am physically. Because often I'm eating because I'm really tired or because I'm really stressed out or because I'm just looking for some comfort. And so finding ways to fuel to fill those needs that are more value aligned than just snacking on things that aren't healthy and that are going to make me feel kind of crummy that night or the next day. I love it. I imagine a lot of people can relate to that end of the day, how we try and manage the discomfort that shows up that's built up throughout the day. So I hope this episode is useful for all of you in taking a look at sort of ongoing daily processes that promote valued living in your life and just noticing what's more beneficial and less beneficial rather than judging them. And sometimes eating in the evening may be a towards move. Sometimes it may be an away move. So it's not really the behavior itself that we're trying to change as much as noticing what the function of the behavior is. Diana, I know that you are going to be offering listeners a free guided meditation that is specifically focused on building psychological flexibility. Can you tell us about it? Sure. Every Tuesday from 5.15 to 6.15 p.m., I'm going to be offering a embodiment, journaling, and meditation practice through Mindful Hearts program, and it's free. So you can join me on Tuesday evenings. And to learn more, you can go to my website at drdianahill.com and click on the events tab where you'll find the Zoom link to join. Psychologist Off the Clock is happy to be sponsored by Praxis Continuing Education. Praxis offers both on-demand courses and live online courses in acceptance and commitment therapy, radically open DBT, and compassion-focused therapy. And some of the great courses that they offer are ACT Immersion with ACT co-founder Stephen Hayes. It's a deep dive into acceptance and commitment therapy as a process-based therapy. And it has over 10 modules that you'll learn how to read the six psychological flexibility processes and target them if you're a clinician. It also offers a basic ACT 1 program with Matthew Boone, who is going to be a guest on our show coming up, and the DNA V model with Louise Hayes, which gives therapists, teachers, and counselors, and coaches practical skills to help young people thrive and have greater psychological flexibility and strength. So check out our sponsorship page for a discount code for Praxis Continuing Education and enjoy your online learning. Benjamin Schoendorf is a licensed psychologist and international trainer living near Montreal and has a passion for helping people get unstuck and move towards valued living. He trains clinicians all over the world in acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, and functional analytic psychotherapy, or FAP and researches ACT in the treatment of obsessive compulsive disorder as part of the Montreal University Mental Health Institute. As an author and trainer, Benji is renowned for his down-to-earth, authentic, relationship-centered, and deeply compassionate style. He believes effective science-based methods 
to get unstuck are too precious to remain confined to academia and has made it his life mission to disseminate them in an engaging and easily accessible way. Simple, but not simplistic. Benji dreams of a scientific psychology in the service of spreading love, peace, and understanding. He has written books and chapters in French and English, including co-authoring The Essential Guide to the ACT Matrix and The ACT Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Compassion. Welcome, Benji. It's a pleasure to see you on this cold winter day in the new year. Thanks, Diana. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. And I thought we'd open with a shared value of ours, which is taking the science that's been stored up in academia and helping share, helping to share it with the public. We're at this really unique point in time where you don't have to go get your PhD. You don't have to go uh, read journal articles that are hidden away somewhere to be able to have access to some of the really cutting edge technologies that can change your life today. And the technology that we're going to talk about today is the ACT matrix, which is about building psychological flexibility. It's a a perspective, a a view on how to build psychological flexibility. So I thought a good place to start is what is psychological flexibility to you? Right. Uh, Again, you know, when we look at psychological flexibility, there is a fairly complex definition of it, which, you know, assumes that, you know, pretty much on the um, acceptance and commitment therapy processes. But I've been trying, I've been trying, looking for a simpler way of putting it. And the simplest way I have found to date is something like it's being able to do what matters no matter what. This is what is the essence of psychological flexibility. In other words, it means, you know, being able to know what matters to you in a given situation Regardless, pretty much, you know, what thoughts will show up for you, what emotions, what past experiences will show up for you, and what your mind is telling you about what's possible or not, and just being able to, through your actions, to do what really matters to you here and now. And this psychological flexibility has been identified by from the research as a kind of superpower that you can train, that you can actually, it's a muscle you can build, and when you do that, it makes it easier to do what matters, but not just that, easier to learn new things, easier to adapt to new situations, easier to have the relationships you want to have, easier to behave like the person you want to behave in your work or in your other important activities. So it's really helpful to think of it as this kind of super skill that you can train through very simple exercises. And what's most exciting about the way to train it, the way I look at it at least, is not only is it simple, but the more you get it, the less effort you have to put into uh, training it. So it's about kind of letting go of all the effort that you know many uh, many psychological methods. When we first look at them, we go, oh my god, it's so much work. I probably won't put it in my next year's resolution, but maybe next year or the year after that. Yeah, so it gets easier over time in some ways, or as, you know, sort of practicing any skill, uh, you start to be able to step into it more quickly. But at the same time, it's something that you never stop doing. What I want to talk about today is this specific process that you can use to build your psychological flexibility called the matrix that you co-developed with Kevin Polk and others. And I did a matrix with Kelly Wilson five years ago that I keep in my makeup case. And it, I'll show, I'll show a little picture of it here, but it's mm-hmm. so worn. 
And I pulled it out today because I wanted to see how I'm doing on this. And I'm, I'm kind of off the mark. <laughs> I'm not doing so well. It's actually probably that's what motivated me to do a towards move of contacting you to do a, do some matrix training with me. But let's just start with the matrix, what it is and, and what are the simple questions that we can begin to ask to help us become more psychologically flexible. I, I love your relic matrix. It probably belongs in a museum, you know. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Amazing. Um, so the matrix is very simply a, it, it's a diagram. It's, but it's a diagram that cues a particular point of view, a way of looking at our experiences and behavior that simply through repeated use of it makes it easier to choose to do what matters, even in the presence of what's difficult for us, you know, things we don't like to think of, feeling of difficult situations. Um, and the key to the matrix, actually, I mean, you did this matrix five years ago and you put it in your makeup case. And um, my way of looking at the matrix is the key to the matrix is to actually use the point of view of the matrix repeatedly. So the one you did five years ago doesn't matter so much as your ability to look through this point of view here and now. And if I can, you know, explain a little bit what is what, what looking through this point of view means, what it is. It's really very simple. The matrix is starts with this horizontal line that I like to end with arrows at both ends of it. And on the right-hand side, on the right-hand side of, of that line, you know, you write toward. And on the left-hand side, you write away. And simply a way to look at our behavior. And basically, you know, when we look at what we do with this particular point of view, we can see pretty much everything that we do as being things we do to move towards what we want or what we like or away from what we don't want or don't like. Of course, human beings are a little bit more complicated than rabbits. You know, you see rabbits moving towards carrots and you see them moving away from barking dogs. And we can also do that, you know, move towards things that we can directly perceive with our senses or move away, like carrots or carrot cakes, or move away from things that we can also directly perceive with the senses that fucking does. But we are much more complicated than rabbits. And one of the ways in which we are more complicated is we can also be seen moving toward things that aren't necessarily present to our five senses, like people and things that are important to us, but that maybe aren't here now are, are more abstract in some sense. And we can also be seen moving away from stuff that, again, we can't directly perceive with our five senses, like things we don't like to think, feel, or remember. So this diagram allows us to sort our experiences and our behaviors in terms of what we move toward, the people and the things that are important to us, and what we move away from, the things we don't like to think, feel, or remember. And so it's very simple. You have this horizontal line, and then you put also a vertical line in the middle, and you start sorting your experiences and behaviors. So you have this matrix, which becomes sort of like a, a cross in the middle if you're working on a piece of paper, or you can do this mentally in your mind, a cross. And the, the horizontal line, you can imagine yourself, you're either turning towards things or you're turning away 
from things. And, right. and for me, when I did the matrix many years ago with Kelly Wilson, I wanted to work on turning towards more self-care practices. Uh-huh. So you have a horizontal line that moves towards and away, and then you right. have a vertical line through the matrix. And this creates these four quadrants. Will you walk us through each of the quadrants and what they sure. represent? Yeah. And, and, and so you describe beautifully what the horizontal line is and what the vertical line is, is really the difference between what you can literally perceive, you know, with your five senses or what you could film with a video camera. So the behaviors that people can see you do, basically, you know, if they were filming you. And then under the horizontal line is all our inner experiences, inner mental experiences, right? And so we then sort our experiences and behaviors in those four quadrants. And I like to start with the bottom right quadrant, who is important to start with, and also what is important to me. You know, what life domains are important to me, what aspects of life, and also what particular qualities are important for me to have in this life or in this life domain if I'm using the matrix to look at a particular thing rather than that, uh, the whole of my, my life in general. So what qualities do I want to embody in this life? You know, how answers to the questions like, in this life, I want to be a person who embodies this or that particular quality. So, you know, popular ones would be things like authenticity, uh, kindness, uh, joy, or this kind of stuff, like persistence, maybe. So that bottom right quadrant is the stuff that maybe other people wouldn't see with their eyes, but that you have inside your heart, inside of your body, inside of your mind about who and what is important to you and the qualities or the values that you want to pursue in your life. Not everyone always sees that. And oftentimes when we're thinking about New Year's resolutions, we're thinking more about the behaviors that we're going to go towards changing. And we, we skip over this part, which is actually probably one of the most important parts about sustaining and maintaining a change in our life or it, because it's it's not a one-time thing. It's over and over and over again that we're going to be practicing moving towards those those values. Okay, so bottom right is stuff in, under your skin that you care about, what who and what is important to you and the qualities of that. Exactly right. Who or what do you choose to hold as important? And, and you know you said earlier that you have this uh, relic matrix in your uh, makeup case and you, you waved it around and you said, well, I look at it and I'm not doing too well, but can I ask you, if you go back to it and you look at that part, who or what is important to you, can I, can you actually look back and tell me if things have changed that much or if the same things, you know, remain as being important to you, the same people and the same things pretty much? Pretty much the same. We've added a hamster to our house since then, but <laughs> besides that, my family and my clients and my bees and my chickens and, you know, uh, and nature, pretty much it stayed the same. And there's another dimension of who is important. You know, for many, many, many of us, our animals, our pets are part of the family, and they can also go into this uh, who is important. Uh, right, so this is what we choose to hold as important, or even sometimes that we don't choose in the sense that, you know, there are things that are important to me that I don't feel I choose. I mean, I couldn't choose for them to not be important to me. So they, they just start there. They are just those things, and they're really stable over time. So they're going to give us a source of motivation, if you will, that is going to remain stable pretty much 
the goddess of Varapa. And so I like to look at this first, to establish this first, and it doesn't need to be complete, just getting the sense of, okay, so this is who and uh, what is important to me. Those are the qualities that are important to me in this moment. And then I like to move up, still on the right-hand side now, in the domain of what can be seen, what we can film me do, right? And this would be the actions that I can be seen or could be seen doing or could do to move towards who or what is important to me. So, you know, you, you, you mentioned this theme of New Year's resolutions. So those would be the actions that toward moves that I could be seen doing at least on January the 1st, if not the 2nd. And what I also noted when I was reading the ACT Matrix, and that this has also come up a lot in ACT, is that a lot of times what we put on those actions is we we talk about things that we want to not do. Like, I want to stop yelling at my kids, or I want to stop eating sugar, or I want to stop buying plastic. But we're not really talking about things that you're not doing. And and there's a little bit of a a paradox there and and a reason why in the Matrix we do that. Can you talk a little bit about that or why, why we choose toward moods that we can see with your eyes. Yeah. Well, th- there's a couple of reasons for this. I mean, the, the more general reason is once you've said what you wouldn't do, you haven't actually defined what you could do. So at any moment of your life, you are doing something until you're dead, right? So you do something, and if you just do, if you just say, I'm not doing this, there's still an infinity of actions that you could be doing, so you're not defining anything. You're not yelling at your kids, but you're yelling at your spouse. <laughs> right. Uh, and um, the, this uh, this is actually a really old principle of behavior therapy, which was first um, stated by one of the pioneers of uh, behavior therapy back in the 50s called Og Lindsay, and he called it the um, dead person's rule. And it's basically like this. If a dead person could do it better than you could, it's probably not a life objective, right? So not doing things, not thinking things, not feeling things, and not remembering stuff, turns out dead people are really good at this. In fact, they're unbeatable. So if you put yourself in a position in which you would need to be dead to beat the competition, that is probably not going to be a life objective that you can pursue, right? So it's going to be much more easy to define what it is that we could see you do if you weren't doing that, whatever it is that your mind is telling you that you shouldn't be doing, right? And that's one part of the story. And the other part of the story is it turns out, and research has actually borne this out, that the more you try to not do something, the more you actually end up doing it. I mean, there are some paradoxical effects like this. You know, the same if you try to not think of a pink elephant, you are going to think of it even more. If you try to not feel anxiety, you're going to feel even more anxious. And it turns out if you try to not do a particular behavior, you have more chances to do it than if you choose to do something else, but not something else that you do to not do this behavior, because it's like trying to think of a purple dinosaur to not think of the pink elephant, just to think of the pink elephant. But something is that you do for what? Well, to move towards someone or something that is important. It also takes a tremendous amount of cognitive load. So maybe you can be successful at that willpower experiment for a short period of time, but over 
over time, it, it, it can fail you as opposed to something like values or what's important to you or focusing on what values-based behavior change you want to make that is becomes intrinsically rewarding and uh, gives you more vitality. And that, and, and that is actually, uh, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned this because this is actually central to my way of thinking about it, of living it, and also my exploration of this model over the years. And, and I think we're going to come back on this in a minute, but basically, you know, I see this in my clients as a clinical psychologist, but I also see this uh, I work with parents, I work with children, I'm, I'm a generalist, I work with all sorts of populations, and I also see this in my own experience, right, because I'm also using those principles to uh, to help me do what matters to me uh, no matter what. And being stuck is already such a drain of your energy that if getting unstuck takes more effort, then you're just not going to do it, and you're not going to do it, you know, beyond January the second or something, because it's already exhausting to be stuck. And now we can look maybe at the other side of this matrix. You know, we've looked at the right hand side, and now look a little bit at the left hand side, and how easy it is to get stuck, and how much energy it actually uh, takes to be stuck. So. You know, this toward moves, doing actions to move towards goal and matters is all fine and good, and we all would love to be able to do them, but, you know, you might have noticed that sometimes stuff will show up. And, you know, stuff can show up outside, of course, outside of you, like, I come from France, I'm now in Canada, I have dear friends and family in France with whom I'd love to do, you know, important toward moves. But now it's much harder for me to do that, not just because of COVID, but because of geographical distance. And those are kind of external obstacles, right? They stand outside of me. This Atlantic Ocean is not inside of me, it's outside of me. But there is also stuff that will show up inside of us, and that can, you know, stand in the way of our doing those toward moves. What are those, right? You know, thoughts, things we tell ourselves. Feelings, emotions, memories, bodily sensations, at times images are, you know, if you're lucky, a combination of those. And those will show up and they will stop us from doing the toward moves. We mean, they're like, I can't do this, I can't take this anymore. Anger, irritation, depression, sadness, painful memories, uncomfortable feelings, painful uh, bodily sensations, all sorts of stuff. That would basically tell us, nah, you can't do it toward me now. You should really attend to me and do something to make me go away. So those go bottom left, all this inside stuff, right, under the horizontal line. And then we move to what we do when these things show up and get in the way. What we do to kind of move away from them or in reaction to them or to gain some relief from them, right? And there you have the uh, list of, you know, favorite human away moves. So things like drinking, using, eating, shopping, Facebook, Netflix, arguing, saying yes, saying no, and all the rest. Of it. And they are away moves, not so much because they move you away from who or what matters, but because you do those to gain some relief from what you don't like to think or feel in the moment. 
So we have in the bottom left-hand corner is all this stuff that shows up that when we want to move towards who and what we care about, these are all sort of the inner, and it's important to just describe it as the inner barriers that show up, our thoughts, emotions, sensations, memories. Uh, when I was looking at my matrix here, some of those inner barriers have not changed either. <laughs> uh, they won't work. Don't have time. Yeah, they, they tend to be quite familiar. Uh, five years, I'm still saying the same thing to myself and uh, still feeling the same feelings that I was feeling five years ago. When you say, I'm still saying the same stuff to myself. Yeah. Are you really saying it? Do you get up in the morning and go, what would be fun today would be for me to tell myself this stuff that is at the bottom left of my matrix? Or does your mind just do that for you even when you don't? Oh, it's it's automatic. It it's been rehearsed so many times that I don't oh. even, yeah. Oh, so your mind yeah, my does mind it. does it. Thank you. Oh. Yeah, my mind says the same the same stuff. I do... I do notice my mind. So we can talk about what has changed is my, is my view of, of this matrix has changed over time. And that's part of the reason why I put it in my makeup case, because I intentionally put it somewhere where I knew I'd see it every day to remind me of it. Right. And my makeup case seemed like the best place yeah. to, to do it, although it's gotten kind of ratty in there. You know, there's another option that you can actually tattoo your tattoo one on your forehead, the kind of Charles Manson. Yeah, the matrix tattoo. I could do that. So the bottom left, we've got all the stuff that shows up. It's guaranteed anything that you've done in your life that matters to you, probably the louder your head has something to say about it or the the more difficult the emotions right. are going to be about it. And it tends to be things that matter to you most that the difficult stuff shows up even louder. And then the top left is the distracting, numbing out of trying to manage right. all of this. And then we get caught in what you call these stuck loops. So can you talk a bit about those stuck loops? Yeah. So those away moves can be pretty much anything. And sometimes they can be the same as toward moves, right? So some people, some people will go, for example, to exercising to move away from stress. And they can also go exercising to move towards health. And it looks like nothing, but if you can find one of those things that you can do both as an away move and as a toward move and start noticing what happens when you do it more as an away move and more as a toward move, absolutely amazing stuff, really sure. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And um, when we do those away moves, what happens most often is they work. They work. They give us relief. They work, otherwise we would stop doing them. They give us relief short term. They give us relief short term, but most of those don't give us relief long term. You know, those thoughts will come back, those emotions will come back, anger will come back, lack of motivation will come back, thoughts that I lack time will come back, all the stuff will come back. And if you're lucky, it comes back just the same, but more commonly, it actually comes back with extra junk, right? Like, now you feel guilty because you've done this stuff instead of doing your toward move, right? Or you feel guilty because you've done it, you've forced yourself to do stuff. And we're going to talk about this in a minute because those toward moves can be, can be really subtle, you know, what makes them a toward move and what can turn them into some of those away moves. So you get into those loops, like I have I have one of those loops, I meet it every morning. So my master plan is to get out, when I get out of bed, to just take my yoga mat out, do my sun salutations, do my breathing exercise, and do my meditation. That is the master plan. And 
I get up and you know what shows up bottom left? I don't feel like doing it. It's like this. I don't feel like doing it. So then what you can see me do is turn on my espresso machine. And then I still don't feel like doing my yoga, but now I'm starting to feel slightly guilty, right? And the next thing you can see me do is <coughs> put some toast in my toaster. Right? I still don't feel like doing my yoga routine. I'm now feeling guilty and ashamed. So I am basically caught in what I call my pushing back yoga stuffy. And so, you know, we all have those stuff loops. And uh, I have a really neat exercise to do with the stuff if you'd like to leave it. It's not in the book. Oh, yeah, it's in the book. Uh, so once you identify your stuck loop, you give it a name, but you give it a descriptive name. Like, you know, I could call my stuck loop my being a lazy so-and-so stuck loop, but if you listen carefully, it's got a little bit of an evaluative edge to it, right? Whereas my pushing back yoga stuck loop, to me, sounds descriptive. I don't feel judged by that name. Do you have one? Do I have a stuck loop? Um, yeah. I, yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking about my stuck loop of not taking an opportunity to connect with my spouse, but instead just staying busy. Okay, so what would, what would you call it? What would you call it? Um, I'd call it my busy, distracted stuck loop with my partner. Or there's something there's something more important than you. <laughs> stuck loop! It's horrible. Yeah, that, that, that sounds a little bit a little urgent, bit, doesn't yeah. it? Just be more, more neutral. Uh, yeah, my 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 I'm busy stuck loop. Okay, my I'm busy stuck loop. So if you're willing, we're going to do the stuck loop exercise together, right? So I'm going to lead you in it. Uh, see if you can just draw a little spiral somewhere. You know, so that goes on the left hand side of your matrix because something shows up bottom left, and then you do one of these aware moves, comes back, you do another one, you do another one, and you're in the loop. That's the loop, right? That's the spiral there. And I'm going to invite you to point at the stuck loop and just name it. So we're going to do this together, you know, aloud. There is one side effect to this exercise on this one with Diana is you feel stupid. <laughs> We've not been able to reduce that side effect. So the only thing we found is I'm going to do it with you so we both get to look stupid together, right? to feel super stupid together. So we're going to do it. We're going to point with our finger and name it together. So, so I'll, I'll give you the model. This is my pushing back yoga stuck loop. Ready? Okay. One, two, three. This, this is, my, is my I'm too busy This stuck is loop. my pushing back yoga stuck loop. Excellent. Now we're going to do level two. Level two is we're going to bring our first name into this. I'll give you the model and then we'll do it together. So this is Benji in his pushing back yoga stuck loop. Ready? One, two, three. This is this Diana in my I'm too busy stuck loop. Now we're going to go to level three. Level three is you're going to put your first name and your last name and do the same again. So listen, this is Benji Schoendorf caught in his pushing back yoga stuck loop. Ready for it? This is Diana Hill caught in an I'm too busy stuck loop. Pushing back your guest. Congratulations, you just recently succeeded in the three steps of the uh, stuck loop exercise. How was it for you? 
it was very helpful. I actually learned this exercise from you over the summer at the ACBS Worldcon, and we liked it so much. Debbie and I put it in our book. It it does so many different things at once. It does some cognitive diffusion work, right? You're noticing your own mind, getting some distance from the thoughts. And you're also doing this perspective taking, and that has this the humor of it and the silliness of it that that helps uh, break it up a little bit. I was doing yeah. it with something else during Worldcon, but I find it incredibly helpful to do that little simple exercise of yeah. noticing our stuck loops. I have to change them regularly because the more I do the exercise and I do it in my clients, I do it in my trainings all the time, I don't get caught in these particular stuck loops anymore. You know, I have to, I have to admit that I have only get, gotten caught in this pushing back yoga stuck loop maybe three times over the past four months or something. So... I'm not releasing this episode for a couple of weeks, so I'll have to see how if I work on that I'm too busy stuck loop, and if I say it over the next couple of weeks, how well it goes for me, uh, and then we can I can give a, I can give a yeah. little report back right. because I think that's the the follow up that we often need with ourselves, right? Yeah. So let me give you one piece of advice about using the exercise. Right, if you're on your own, all alone in a quiet room with nobody where nobody can hear you, my advice to you is to practice it aloud. However, if you're anywhere near other people, of course you do what you want. But my personal advice would be to just do it <laughs> in your mind rather than allow Because people will go, what is the matter with you? Unless you're in my family, they're, they're open to psychological uh, interventions. So they'll, they'll go for it. <laughs> yeah. We've had a number of guests on the show that we've been inspired by and that are offering you, our listeners, discounts on their programs. If you go to our website, offtheclockpsych.com, you'll be able to find coupon codes for the programs of Dr. Judson Brewer, Dr. Rick Hansen, and Jen Lumanlen. So go check it out at offtheclockpsych.com and start learning today. So here we are. We have our matrix laid out. And just to kind of do a review of the four quadrants, you can imagine these two lines on a piece of paper that intersect. The bottom right is who and what is important to me. And then we have the top right, which is uh, what can I do to move towards who and what is important to me? And then we have the bottom left, which is what shows up that gets in the way of moving towards those things. And then the top left, which is what do I do when I move away from my unwanted inner stuff? And that leads to that stuck loop spiral that you just described and we just said out loud. And, um, you know, it's near the New Year, so everybody, well, a number of people are thinking about New Year's resolutions. I realize I haven't taken New Year's resolutions for many years because I have noticed this thing about New Year's resolutions, right, is even when they are absolutely in line with your most deeply held values, they don't tend to last very long. And what makes it so? I believe what makes it so is the same thing that makes it really exhausting to be in the stuck loop is that we have this general instinctive wired way of reacting to aversive stuff, you know, to yucky stuff. Basically what we do is we react to things we don't like as though it were a bear in your yard, right? We go, oh, like this. And uh, of course, it's very useful to go like this, you know, to tense all of your body to uh, when you're faced with natural physical predator. You know, some people have studied what happens when 
a zebra meets a lion, and basically what happens is the zebra tenses up, the digestive system stops working, the reproductive system stops working, the blood is pumped towards the extremities, and your uh, premotor cortex lights up like a Christmas tree uh, in early December, right? All this to prepare for what you do next, which is going to be basically fight or flight. And uh, since we've had this incredibly useful minds that actually allow us to think things through inside our minds, we react in exactly the same way. We tense up. And of course, these things never go away. It's like the pink elephant I was talking to you earlier about. You know, if we try to not think of the email, it will stay around, and so we will stay tensed up. And all that muscular tension we put in reacting to our basically in our experiences, right, is absolutely exhausting. And then you know what we do on top of this? Then we put extra tension to stop ourselves from doing the away move. And then, if that wasn't enough, we put extra tension to force ourselves to do the toward moves. No surprise that we can't do them for more than three or four days, right? But at the end of the day, if we just Slow down, stand back, stand back, and look at our experiences and our behaviors. Then we will soon notice that we put a lot of tension into just reacting to inner stuff that doesn't need to be there. You know, we could actually relax pretty much every muscle in our body when we feel anxiety, when we have these thoughts about not having the time, about not being motivated. In my case, about not wanting, not feeling like doing yoga this particular morning, right? And we could just relax all of these things and then discover that those toward moves are just about choosing. And in fact, there's so much about choosing that the minute we force ourselves to do them, I believe they stop being toward moves. To, to verify this, imagine that you could choose between two possible lives. One in which you do your toward moves, your actions to move towards who or what matters, because you choose to do them. And another life in which you do your actions to move towards who or what matters, because you have to do them. Which of these two lives would you actually choose if you could choose between those two? Which would you choose? Well, I certainly would choose the ones that because I, I care about it, I want to do it. And I think that this shows up in our relationship with ourselves, but also our relationships with other people. And I, I interviewed uh, Stefan Rolnick, who's one of the founders of Motivational Interviewing a while back. And he talks about something called the fixing reflex, like our our desire to fix things and other people and how much it gets in, gets us into such trouble when we do that, when we're putting the effort into fixing somebody else or fixing ourselves. It creates so much tension and resistance that we end up being pulled in a different direction. Like, for example, for me as a parent, my kids are 11 and 7. And one day I was overwhelmed and I was, what, what would happen if I didn't take this, this basket of laundry to the laundry room, which is just right around the corner from their room. And what it started to do is just to pile up and pile up and pile up. And then my son couldn't get his, uh, he didn't have his sports equipment. And that really matters to him. Like his baseball uniform and having a clean baseball uniform is like a big deal in baseball. And he figured out that the only way he could get 
to his, you know, team with a clean baseball uniform on would be to do his own laundry, which I had taught him to do, you know, and now he does it, piles up, takes it, he's motivated, he wants his clothes. And it's not an effort. And it's not a struggle. And it's not a yelling match. But we can do that same thing with ourselves, where we can identify what, what is it that matters to us? And then are we willing to do the effort full kind of, I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable kind of stuff. But it's because it's in the service of something we care about it, it changes and transforms our relationship with it. Yes. And the other dimension to this is, you know, ACT, of course, is based on an analysis of how our minds work and how we relate to what our minds tell us and our emotions, you know, our relationship with those things, and especially in terms of what we call rules. So our minds will create rules all, all the time, and those rules you know, mostly take the form of I should do this, I shouldn't do that, people should do this, and people shouldn't do that, and life should do this, and life shouldn't do that. Those are the kind of three, you know, big categories that those rules come in. And that's what minds do. They do this all the time. And the minute you start getting hooked by one of those rules, then it doesn't matter what you do, you are submitting to a rule, and you are losing the experience of choosing to do what matters to you. And this is why it becomes super important, whatever you do. And you were talking about the laundry. And for me, I do the laundry, actually. And I've been doing it since my son was six months old. But I started to do it as an away move. And it was hell, especially, you know, as you know, children, the smaller they are, the more laundry they produce. It takes longer to fold those little tiny shirts, too. <laughs> and, and then one day I was doing my laundry on the on, on the left as in the way moving. It was draining. It was like soul murder, you know, every weekend. And I realized I could just look at my matrix so I could see, of course, all the you know, bottom left-hand side stuff around. I have to do it. Nobody will do it. Nobody do it pro- does it properly, blah, blah, blah. And I said, but is there something important to me in doing this, right? And yes, there was. My son was important being, you know, Participating in the family chores was important. Helping uh, my wife was important. And you know, when you have a small child, if you're a man, it's very hard to do a half as much as your wife does. And so there were many important things as well. And in that moment, I had this, certainly this question moved up for me. What force in the universe is forcing me? To fold that pair, I remember it was a pair of travel underwear. They're really light, they're about five grams. To fold this thing on the left, which was so tiny. And I looked around, you know, thinking maybe there's somebody from the Islamic State forcing me, you know, at gunpoint to do this as an away move. But there was nobody. It was just my mind going, yeah, 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 yeah. And in that moment, I just, I discovered that I could choose to fold that pair of underwear on the right, and I did. It was like a moment of liberation. So, of course, five seconds later, I was back to folding on the left. But it's become my lab, and I have spent the last almost eight years now, seven and a half years, noticing when I do the laundry as a toward move and as an away move, and I'm at the point now where I do it like 98% as a toward move, and I'm even able to utter this crazy sentence, which I will do now, which is that I love doing the laundry. I, it, it, sound, it still sounds strange that I could say something like this. There was little in the world that I hated more than doing the laundry. 
So it's all about being able to choose what you do. I, at the end of the day, I don't think it matters what it is that you choose. If there is something important to you in what you do, if there isn't, then why bother? But if there is something, it's just being able to choose. And you do this by noticing what your mind tells you that you should do or other people should do or shouldn't do or life should do or shouldn't do. And then inside of this, there is always a space to choose to do what matters. And once you find it, that space is effortless. You know, I discovered that I could do five hours of laundry as a tool with me. And there is no effort in it, almost, you know, it's not that breaking rocks in the hot, in the hot sun, right? What I really like about what you're doing there is you're taking, a lot of times when people think about New Year's resolutions, they think about a new behavior they want to start or change. But what you're doing there is you're, you're not changing the behavior at all. You're changing the function of the behavior and you're changing how you're relating to the behavior so that it becomes a toward move and not an away move. And that's, that's pretty powerful. And another thing I would add on to folding that little piece of travel underwear is that there'll be a point in your life where all you would long for in the world was to have a little tiny pair of underwear that you could fold in your house because he's gone <laughs> and you'll miss it. You'll, you'll have this, this memory of, oh, you know, back in the day when I used to fold his little clothes. And so I think that, mm-hmm. that changing and transforming how, how we relate to these, these daily tasks can, can really shift our experience of them. Yeah, and and once you start noticing this, then the next thing you notice is all you have to do is notice. Like you don't have to force yourself to do any toward moves because the minute you force yourself, they become aware moves. You just have to notice when you choose them and when you just get you know hooked by whatever your mind that the garbage that your mind produces when you just go okay master i will submit oh no i will rebel which is exactly the same thing at the end of the day and just go okay this is you know this stuff shows up and i'm choosing to do this which is the essence of psychological flexibility and at the end it's effortless and also when we, you know, we're in the helping professions, you and I were clinical psychologists, so we help people get this stuff. And of course, we used to think, especially coming from the behavioral tradition, that we are all about changing behavior. So, you know, we give people uh, homework and they have to change their behavior, otherwise we, everything is a disaster. But in fact, the only behavior we have to change is this behavior of noticing, basically, toward and away. And once you're able to notice toward and away, we... We've got some pieces of research that show that just noticing toward and away moves increases the probability of toward moves and makes them easier. Just noticing them, right? Which takes no effort. You know, if you, if you can notice the sound of my voice, I'm going to make a sound now. Can you notice it? The noticing should take no effort. So if you find that noticing toward and away is effortful in some sense that you are doing some extra stuff about noticing. So there is no effort in doing it. And part of the noticing is also noticing what it feels like from an embodied state. That's one of the, the teachings that I really appreciated uh, from you, which is what does it feel like in my body when I'm doing a toward move versus what, it, what does it feel like in my body when I'm doing a, a wave move? Be able to have that discrimination, that understanding that's really unique to my personal experience. It's like finding your balance on a bike, you know. It's impossible to put into words. It's impossible to locate precisely in your body, but it's clearly in your body and not the result of some, you know, sophisticated mathematical calculation in your head. 
And it's just finding that feeling of engaging in the toward move, identifying how it feels to start moving into away mode. And once you notice that particular feeling, notice how it feels to do something that puts you back into the toward move. And it's like, you know, riding a bike. It's not a static state. It's always moves from equilibrium to, to from balance to ooh, 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 that sense of losing balance again. One of the things that I appreciate about ACT in general, as well as, as your work and how you teach ACT, is that you really uh, don't put yourself in a separate category as a therapist or psychologist than the people that you're working with. And you even bring that into the therapy space where you'll talk about your own toward and away moves as a therapist and you write about that in the ACT Matrix. And this summer when I came to your workshop at Worldcon ACBS, I won't give details, but you were, you were struggling and it, and you brought it to the presentation that you were having a hard, hard summer. I was sort of on the edge of my seat to see how are you going to model this? What are you going to do in this moment, doing this presentation, struggling the way that you were from your kitchen? (laughs) Your kid was in the background. I think he was on a zoom call with his in-laws or something. And I'm curious for you. What have you learned? And, and, I, and I imagine there's some deeper stuff here, as they say about like our, our personal crisis lead to spiritual maturity. And how have you matured as a result of some of these struggles and some of learning more about your toward moves? Yeah, it, it, it's a fascinating piece. As I went through this personal crisis, I, I sensed from the beginning that there was a spiritual dimension to it. And I went to read a number of, you know, spiritual text, and one that actually uh, was very uh, inspiring to me is called The Untethered Soul by um, Michael Singer. It's like the most act-compatible um, spirituality book I have read. But, you know, I also read it in many other places, and it went to that piece that in my own personal and clinical work, I have found the center of everything which you know I already conveyed earlier in this podcast which is there is no effort to the noticing and the noticing itself does all of your work and of course to do the noticing well you have to notice that there is a noticer that notices all this stuff notices all your experiences notices what is important to you all that your mind tells you all your past history and also your behaviors and that noticer doesn't spend a lot of effort in noticing because it's just like, you know, sitting in the seat and looking at what's projected onto the screen of your experiences and behaviors. And once you get to that place of no effort, then you realize that once we can relax pretty much all the tension we put, then any experience is almost, it is equivalent to any experience. You just need to be present to it, which is not a lot of effort because it's all about noticing. And once you do that, and you know, it's a practice, not like this religious revelation and then everything is fixed, not at all. But once you're able to do that, then your toward moves become Effortless, and it's almost like, you know, I use a lot the metaphor with my clients. 
it's all about surfing. It's this particular form of surfing that, you know, it's about surfing our emotions, surfing our body sensations, our thoughts, so that we can take our ball in the directions that matter to us. And then you get into this surfing. You're always trying to surf at the edge of your surfing, if you know what I'm saying there. How can I put less of an effort in it? And of course, you know, if you're, if you're surfing you can, and if you're not, you can imagine it. The more you're going to tense up, the less you're going to be effective at surfing where you want to surf to and to take, you know, however big the wave is. So it's about releasing as much tension as you can and just being present to the experience of the wave so that in that experience you can just choose to at the end of the day, it's kind of be here and to attend to whatever is important for you to attend to. And it's pretty magical when you get to that point. And it does wonders for relationships as well, of being able to just be present without tension and notice that you talk about intimacy as being um, allowing someone to be fully who they are without needing to change them. And just being being present with them, and I think that we can do that with ourselves as well. So I appreciate that. It, there's many there's many spiritual practices that are devoted to noticing. And uh, I mean, it has certainly deepened uh, and strengthened my relationship with my eight year old son in a way that I can't even begin to describe. But that you know, we experience every time we. Uh, we, we are together, so that's pretty amazing, and it's also transformed other relationships. We start we start off as master noticers; it's it's trained out of us, <laughs> so we have to right. we have to train it back again. Uh, but it, it it is how we come into this world, and hopefully, I also you know I find in, in people that I've been with when they've been dying, how we end as well. Well, thank you, Benji Schoendorf. It's a real treasure and treat to be with you on this rainy day. You're hearing the rain probably in my little space and snowy day in Montreal. And for those that want to learn more about the ACT Matrix, if you're a, if you're a therapist and you want to apply it, certainly check out the Essential Guide to the ACT Matrix. If you're, if you're talking about trainings, then we offer uh, you know, now online Zoom trainings uh, in English and in French, but you know for your audience in English would be more interesting. And you can just um, find out about those at our website, which is uh, contextsci.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you for spending this time with us, and I wish you many toward moves in the new year. You too, and uh, I wish you to just notice when you choose and when you force yourself or when you buy this story, when you get hooked by this story that you have to give it to women. I think that is the, most, the single most uh, important practice. Thank you for listening to Psychologist Off the Clock. If you enjoy our podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or contributing on Patreon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd like to thank our strategic consultant, Michael Harold, and our interns, Katie Rothfelder and Melissa Miller. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources page of our webpage, offtheclockpsych.com.